Thank Pastor for the opportunity to share this morning and uh, just for us to open God's Word together and, and, and just for us to begin to kind of walk this question together this morning of what are you trusting in? What is it that you're trusting in? You know, what, when, when the days are the darkest or even when they're the best, what is your truest source of confidence? And, and the reality is I think this question doesn't really come up on most days. We live kind of day to day in a comfortable bubble, if you will, kind of able to handle whatever it is that life would throw at us. I, I, I don't imagine that anybody here this morning as you woke up and you poured your first cup of coffee or, or, or you fit, made your breakfast and fixed your cereal that you thought to yourself, what, what am I trusting in? Nobody thinks about that as you make a phone call on your cell phone or you send a text or you're scrolling through. You're not thinking to yourself, what is it that I'm trusting in today? And all of those kind of activities that we do in life and countless others that I could list are so completely ordinary that we just assume that we can do them ourselves, that we can just handle it ourselves and we feel that we don't need anything to trust in or to put our trust in. But church, I just want to tell you this morning, that's a grave misunderstanding. And it's one that I'm learning even now today, even more and more in my life. Because the reality is, is that at every single moment of our lives, every single instance, every single circumstance, every single decision, is that we are trusting in something. And if we feel confident that we can handle that situation ourselves, we are trusting in ourselves. I was reading an article this week that stated that self-worship was the fastest growing religion in the world. Self-worship, fastest growing religion in the world. And the article stated that there were six tenets, if you will, of this religion. And they're just simply that your mind is the source and standard of truth. That your emotions are authoritative. That you are sovereign. That you are supreme. That you are the standard of goodness and that you are the creator. In the same article, they referenced a book called Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant or Extreme by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. In that book, they document through their research these stats that 84% of those surveyed of Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal of life. That 86% believe to enjoy yourself, you must pursue the things that you desire most that 91% affirm the statement to find yourself, look within yourself. And this is the devastating state that we can be in spiritually. You know, people trust in all kinds of things, depending on the circumstances. Maybe you trust on your IQ or, or, or your, you know, bank account, your 401k, or some sort of skill or athletic ability that you have, or, or some person that you've put your trust in. If, you know, if you're a football fan here, maybe you've put your trust in some sort of coach that, that is leading your team right now, whatever the case may be. And, and, and you know, even as a nation, sometimes we put our trust in, in military power or, or political leaders of some sort. And we can put our trust in any number of things that we can mention here today. But what you're trusting in the most will be most clearly revealed during a time of crisis. So if you find yourself here this morning in some sort of crisis, in some circumstance where you feel like everything is caving in around you, ask yourself the question, what is being revealed about who or what you are trusting in in the midst of that situation? Where is it that you are turning you know, there are trials and circumstances that will jar us from our comfort zones in life. There is extreme suffering that will cause us to lose all other sources of trust, 
in our lives. And what we want to see today is the example of Ahaz and of what not to follow and what God is telling us here today of how we should throw ourselves on him and on him alone. And so in Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 2, the first thing I want us to see this morning is the revealing of faith in crisis. <coughs> the revealing of faith in crisis. Look at verses 1 through 2. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So in the Old Testament, God would often teach vital spiritual lessons through military or political events. And this is the context that we find here in Isaiah chapter 7. After the death of Solomon, Israel had been split into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom, which was the kingdom of Judah. And at the time of Isaiah 7, Judah was ruled by the king Ahaz that we've mentioned here. And the two Jewish kingdoms were often at war with each other, as was happening here. But in the midst of that, you have other tiny nations that were involved like Edom and Aram and Syria, just kind of bit players on the stage of geopolitics. But there was also a dominant empire that existed. And in this day and age, it would have been Assyria. And the Assyrians threatened the entire region with their military power. And so amongst that looming threat, now these smaller kingdoms, as we're reading here, had allied together and were threatening the other small kingdoms in conquest. And this is just what King Ahaz and Judah were facing, that Israel under Pekah and Aram under Rezin had aligned together and sought to conquer Judah, specifically Jerusalem, the capital city. So news of this alliance reaches Ahaz and, 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 and the people, and they tremble, as the scripture tells us, like trees of a forest that were shaken by a strong wind. So I wonder this morning, what is happening in your life? In the crisis that you may be facing, what is being revealed and what is coming to the surface? For Ahaz and the people, what came to the surface was fear, fear to the point that it began to shake them like trees in the forest. And so often, I think this is what happens to us, that there is a trembling that occurs or there is an overwhelming like spirit that comes over us of saying that we weren't prepared for this, nor are we absolutely certain or sure that we can even handle this or approach the situation that is at hand. I was thinking about just kind of a silly story with this. I used to play basketball a lot uh, when I was younger. And uh, in student ministry, I played basketball. I played basketball in high school. And so I'd, I'd run the floor with, you know, with high school students or with college students at the time. And, uh, and I really just enjoyed playing basketball. I, I don't enjoy playing basketball today um, or running anywhere for that matter, much less up and down a basketball floor. And, and so I'll never forget one time we were playing with a group of guys and, and these were guys that played on, on some of the high school teams in the area and, and a couple of guys were in college that had played previously. We were in the gym, we were playing, enjoying ourselves, but we needed one other person. And so a guy came into the gym and this guy came into the gym and, and have you ever seen that guy at the gym that he looks like he knows what he's doing? Anybody ever experienced that? Okay, yeah, so, so everybody 
Here, you've seen that guy. He came in. He had the nicest set of Jordans on that I'd ever seen. Um, he had his own basketball with him. He was dressed to play basketball. I wasn't really dressed to play basketball. I, I was dressed to do anything but really play basketball. And, and, and so he came in, and I, I looked at the guys. The guys looked at me and said, that guy will do. I was like, yeah, no, he looks like he's a player. So we got him involved. You know, we're warming up, getting ready to go. And, and, and so something dramatic happened in the midst of playing that game. As we were running up and down the floor, and, and, and understand this, like I'm, I'm in my mid-20s at this point, and, and the guys that we're playing with are real players. Um, and and they're, they're playing every day, and they're practicing, and they're on teams, and, and it's just different. Well, I noticed real quickly the guy that we had brought into play that looked like he could play, he started getting checked on defense and then was started to kind of struggle a little bit on offense. And, and then I saw this look in his eyes, this look of, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? Because here's what the reality was with this guy. This guy was dressed in the gear that said he could play basketball. So he had the gear that said that he could play basketball, but what he was lacking was the skills to actually play basketball. And, and, and in that moment, he thought he's just coming into a gym of a bunch of high school students and, and, and some guy in his mid-20s that's trying to, like, still be young, I guess. And he thought, well, I can just hang with these guys. Like, there's no real need to do this. And then very quickly understood the moment that he was in and realized that he was, he, he was in deep trouble. And about the fourth time that we had made our way back and forth on the court, he kind of looked at me and he said, is there any way that I can get out of this? And I said, no. If I got to do it, you got to do it until somebody else shows up. And, 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 and he was overwhelmed by that because the crisis of the moment, it really unmasked who he really was. That he was not a basketball player. That he didn't have the skills to play with these guys. He needed to wait for like the middle school hour of basketball to roll in. And, and then he would have been set. But this is what's happening here. For, the, for Ahaz and the people, the crisis that they were facing was unmasking and revealing the faith of who they were. See, here's what you look at. When you look at their fear, you see this immediately. Their fear was faithless. There was never a moment when they thought to themselves, we're going to turn to the sovereign Lord for our protection. To the God that we have read about and know about and know all the work that he has done. He's brought us to this point. We're not going to turn to him at all. So their fear was faithless. And so the question then today, this morning for you and for I is what is it that we're turning to when the crisis comes? Who is it that we're turning to when the crisis comes? I look back at my life and so often I've fallen short in this area because crisis has come and circumstances have arisen and the thing that I have done is not fallen on my knees before the Lord to turn to him, but I have like put out the piece of paper and started writing down all the ways that I was gonna fix the circumstances that surrounded me. Or I would pick up the phone and try to get somebody else to fix it. And so the people here never sought to turn to the Lord. They were as weak in faithlessness as Ahaz was. God brings this crisis to them to show him how empty Ahaz's soul was and how great his need was to trust in the Lord. And so in that, we see then secondly this morning that there is an intervention of the Lord. Let's look at the intervention of the Lord in verses 3 through 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Launderer's Field. Say to him, Be careful 
keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. I just want you to underline those four things right there. Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezum and Aram and of the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will, t- will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. See, church, what we need to begin to understand is that in the midst of our crisis, and in the midst of trying to understand who it is that we're trusting in, God is not an idler. God is not just passively sitting on the sidelines of human history. He's not merely rooting for the proper outcome. God brings about the outcome. God is the one that brings it to forbearance. He's sovereign in deciding what will occur on the stage of history. He moves his finger and the nations convulse. But what we need to begin to understand is that God's real desire is that we as his people would trust him. That that we would turn to him in every instance, in every circumstance, in every situation, no matter how dire it may be or no matter how great it may be, that we would turn our trust to him and to him alone. But in order for the people here to trust him and in order for us to trust him, he must speak to them and make promises to them. And this is what he does here through Isaiah the prophet. God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz and to the nation of Judah. And he gives two encouragements here. The first encouragement just begins with four imperatives that admonish Ahaz to be careful, to keep calm, do not be afraid, and do not lose heart. That fourfold repetition in words is just assurance there to calm Ahaz's fears, indicating, one, that he needed a lot of encouragement, and, and, and that God is just making it very clear to Ahaz that his enemies would not be victorious. We see in this, Isaiah is even trying to persuade Ahaz not to act without of a normal response of fear, but to rest in God's promises. To even, even know that he's a wicked king, that, that God is extending out grace and, and giving him these words of assurances to calm his fear. But they're not just words of assurances, they're also words of challenge. Understand this, the words of challenge here to Ahaz are to respond appropriately. To just respond appropriately by accepting God's knowledge of the future and by trusting in God's deliverance. See, that's the reality for you and I here today. Like God is challenging us and he's throwing out there to us to be calm. He's throwing out there to us to not be afraid. He's calling out to us to not to lose heart and to be careful. And, and yes, it's, a, it's a, a cry of assurance for us in the midst of the crisis, but it's also a challenge for you and I to be mindful of the reality of the sovereign hand of God, that God knows the future of what is to take place and that God has delivered us from that, from that, that whatever is facing us in the future ahead. See, we sang that song earlier and just, I, I love it, that hallelujah, I'm free. 
See, so often for us, in the midst of crisis, we then bind ourselves in chains to the fear or to the circumstances that are coming around us, losing sight of the reality that what has taken place in our lives in Christ Jesus is that we have been set free. Set free from what? From death, hell, and the grave, yes, but also the fear of anything that could ever come to overwhelm us in this life because Christ has already conquered it all. That's the deliverance that we have in the name of Jesus. And so we need to begin to respond appropriately to that. That instead of us beginning to wonder and turn to other places, that we would just turn our eyes to the Lord. He tells him to watch himself, to be careful. So he went and jumped to the wrong conclusion there. Uh, There's got to be a million people that are coming around Ahaz in this moment, giving him all sorts of instructions and all sorts of things that he could do. And that call there to be careful, to be calm, is to just think through the consequences of each choice in your actions. You see, church, the greatest danger for you and I is this. It is to be controlled by fear and discouragement. That's the greatest danger because fear won't ever let you get started in life. If you're afraid or you're fearful, then you're never going to move into that spot. But then what discouragement does is discouragement won't let us keep going. That we make our way and we get to a certain place and then face discouragement in the circumstances around us and then we just stop. And that's the great danger. This is why Isaiah exhorts there to not be afraid and to not lose heart. That admonition to not fear, it's used elsewhere when other wars are talked about in Deuteronomy 20 and Jeremiah 51. The exhortation there is just be still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, here's these exhortations that are given here to Ahaz, also given to us here this morning, are to look in Ahaz's situation at the war, and for us in our situations, to look at them through the perspective, not of our human eyes, but through the lens of God's perspective. I got glasses about a year and a half ago, and, and I'll tell you, it, it like changed everything for me. So... I'm not wearing them now because if I were wearing them now, I wouldn't be able to see my Bible or my notes or anything. But so I'll just tell you. So like I know that there are actual bodies that are sitting out here, but but I I can't tell if you're asleep or not. I can't see your face. I can't make out anything um, at all. And so, so, you know, so be free in that this morning. (laughs) And so, um, but I remember like, I, I remember like we went to the mall and, and we got them, and I, I, I drove to the mall, and then I put these glasses on when we were leaving. And I looked at Nan, and I said, wow, I really should not have been driving um, <clears throat> for however long that that may have been, because it was, like, crystal clear. Like, I, I could, like, see signs, and I was like, that's what a stop sign is, and, and, and all of these different types of things. And, and, and it changed my perspective. I go to the movies. I wear these when I'm watching movies. I can, like, read the text and stuff. If something comes up, you know, like those end credit type things, and they're telling you, like, stories. It's like, now I know what's happening in this thing. And, and, and it's given me new, new vision. And what God is seeking to do here this morning is to change your perspective. For, uh, for us to begin to take off the lens uh, of just kind of humanity and what we see. Because so often what we're able to see in our walks with the Lord is just so far in front of us. And for us to remove ourselves and to put on the perspective of God 
through the promises of his word, through the declarations of the truth of who he is in scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is residing and living inside of us, and to view our lives through that perspective. And when we begin to do that, we don't have to look and hope for deliverance as the people of God. We begin to look at everything and understand that we have been delivered by the power of God. And that changes everything about what we face. But it's not just this, not, not just that encouragement. God also speaks to him and says this, says it will not happen. This is the second encouragement. It will not occur. Can I just say that's the end of that? Isaiah 40, 15 says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands, <coughs> excuse me, as though they were fine dust. All the nations are a speck of dust on the scales. And God is like a million pound weight on the scales. Whatever side he lands on, that scale is gonna absolutely tip to his will. And when God declares that it will not happen, we can go to the bank that it's not going to happen. So our Proverbs 19, 21 tells us that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. See, God has planned to bring a savior to the world through the line of David. And those two kings, as he's speaking to Ahaz, are not going to stop it. God goes beyond this and predicts plainly that within a short 65 years, which is nothing to God, that Ephraim will be so decimated that it will no longer be a nation. These two small nations led by two small men in Rezin and Pekah, who are they and what are they to God? But notice here, at the end of these assurances and encouragement, God just speaks a word of warning to Ahaz and says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. Isaiah concludes this, his appeal to trust God, and in doing that, kind of uses a Hebrew wordplay there. He uses two forms of the root, MN in Hebrew, which just means to be firm or stable. And he says there, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Essentially saying that if you do not make firm or believe, then you cannot be firm. The NIV captures this idea closely. And so unless Ahaz, puts his faith in God and what God has said through his prophet, then he's going to give way to fear. But if he will firmly believe in God, then he can stand in quiet confidence, no matter how desperate the immediate circumstances may appear. So in other words, God is saying there, my plans are for the whole nation to survive, but your individual survival depends entirely on your faith. And this is a clear teaching of scripture. Habakkuk 2.4 says, see the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Romans 1.17 says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Ahaz is faithless. He's being called to repent and to believe, or he too, like Pekah and Rezin, are gonna be swept away by the judgment of God. The warning has to do with Ahaz's plan for self-salvation. Like any plan that we have for, for self-survival or self-salvation outside of the sovereignty of God, that is a scheme that is going to lead to destruction in our lives. And God is just making it abundantly clear here to Ahaz. And so he's seeking to intervene. And in that intervention, he then brings, the third thing I want us to see this morning is there's a promise from the Lord. There's a promise from the Lord. Look at verse 10. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. 
I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. It is, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So there, this is an amazing kind of exchange here that takes place. Because what you see here is God stoops to Ahaz's weakness. And he offers his weak faith the advantage of a sign. He says anything as deep or anything as high as he could possibly think of. And I read that and I think, man, the patience of God in dealing with people like me and just in dealing with us all. In effect, what he's doing there is handing Ahaz a blank check and saying, you fill in the amount. And even more striking, take a look at the words of the invitation. He says, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. From the Lord your God. Ahaz has not lived out any true faith toward the true God. But God is not ashamed to offer to be his God now. And, and, and he's just seeking to bring a promise. But then we see here in verse 12 that Ahaz refuses. That he puts on this kind of air of humility and just simply says, I will not test the Lord. But God had commanded Ahaz to ask for a sign there. And Ahaz is refusing that. So he's rejecting the offer that God gives to him based on you know, kind of this, this injunction that prohibits putting God to the test that you can read about in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. And, and so we're going to see this, and, and we're going to look at this, that, that there's a false piety, if you will, here from Ahaz. But, but I do think that there's a real faith issue for us to struggle with in this offer, and I, I just want to bring it out real quick. So the question then becomes, should the king only act when God provides something to him? through a miraculous sign, if you will? Or, or should the king just step out in faith and reject the offer of a sign? Well, the answer is, is that we should walk by faith without a sign. But I want us to be clear here. That's not the case in this situation. It's not a question of whether Ahaz should ask for a sign. God is offering a sign. And that's the massive difference here today. Like God is giving to him a sign that says you can trust in me. You can put all of your faith and all of your trust in me. And now I'm offering a sign that says to you, here's how I'm going to intervene in the midst of this crisis. Here's how you can put your trust in me. But what this really begins to show us here is that Ahaz's rejection of the sign of God is not based out of humility, but is rather based out of just how little faith he has in God at all. The indication here is that he's really not interested in trusting God because he's already developed his own plan and is seeking to carry out his plan rather than whatever plan that God is going to offer to him in this moment. And I think this is where a lot of us find ourselves sometimes is that we, we, we're like going to God and we're like, God, you know, here's what I've got going on. And, and, and Lord, can you just give me a sign to let me know that what I want to do is what I want to do? We're not asking God to show us a way. We're asking God to approve the way that we've already laid out for ourselves. And that's not faith. And that's not trust in our lives. 
What God is seeking for you and I to do is to turn to him and to him alone, to put aside our plans, to put aside our desires, to put aside all of our fears, and to just recklessly and, and, and with all the faith in the world, throw ourselves on his sovereignty and on his plans and purposes in our lives. Now, you say to yourself, well, Tim, like I've never seen God do anything miraculous in my life. If you're a believer here in the room and that's your statement of faith, I just wanna tell you your statement of faith is wrong because you are the miracle that God has done in your life. God rescued you, redeemed you, brought you from the death of your sin to life in Jesus. So you're a walking miracle every single day of your life. Every single day. And that's the sign for you and for me. So because that's the sign, because we've experienced forgiveness, because we've experienced life in Christ, then you and I have all the indication that we need. Not that God may deliver us, but that God has delivered us. And so we can walk with faith and trust into whatever crisis may face us. But can I just say this? I wanna point out here the danger that Ahaz has. There's a real danger of piety without faith. And here's what piety is. It's just a quality of being religious or of being reverent. And really what Ahaz has here, it's a form of godliness while missing the substance of the relationship. It's doing everything that you possibly can, but not having any real relationship with the Lord. And there's a real danger of that in the church today, of people taking on a form of godliness absent of any kind of relationship. I had a friend in high school, and, and, and I grew up in a small southwest Georgia town, and so people like to hunt and people like to fish and, and do all of that type of stuff where, where I was born and raised. Um, now, I'm not a hunter or fisherman, so if you are, don't come and ask me because I'll, I'll send you to other people that do that. And so, um, and so there was this guy that, that, that I graduated with, and so his parents really wanted him to go to homecoming and to prom. Like, they were all about it, wanted him to be there, wanted him to go. And he had no desire to go to that. He wanted to go sit in the woods or go be on a boat and go fishing. Anybody, you know, like you're like, no, that was me. And so uh, some, of you, some of you high schoolers and middle schoolers, like, yeah, that's where I am. And so, so, so here is what he did because his parents so desperately wanted him to go to homecoming prom. He would pay a girl in our class every time. He did this from freshman year till he graduated high school. He would pay a girl in the class he would show up just to take pictures. He was there first all the time. He'd show up, they'd take pictures. He had all of these pictures that said that he went to homecoming and that he went to prom. I'm telling you, he never went to a single homecoming or a single prom. He went, he got dressed up, he would leave, go to the bathroom, put on whatever it is that he needed to wear to go kill whatever it was that he was gonna go kill. And he left. One of my favorite memories was after prom my junior year, we all went to Waffle House and he came rolling into Waffle House and, and, and like had a bunch of things that he killed in the back of his truck. And, and so here's the thing, this guy, he did everything. You would have thought, man, no, he's in a relationship because it's, it's the same girl in every picture. She made a lot of money over the course of her high school life. Same girl. Same, same, you think, man, these people, they're in a relationship. Like, they really like each other. They got, no, all they did was take the picture. All, and that's it. But, man, if you, you go through our yearbooks and you're, you're like, man, they, they must have been a really solid couple. No, they weren't a couple at all. And that's the danger here of what's happening with, with Ahaz. See, piety is the byproduct. It's not the end product. So here's the thing. Is going to church good? 
Is having your daily devotion good? Is avoiding greed and lust and self-indulgent good? Is, is, is not having inoffensive speech? Is giving regularly to the church and to the cause of Christ? Is all of that good? Is integrity and all of your dealings good? The answer to that and all of those things is absolutely yes, of course they're good. But here's the better question. Are any of those things faith in God? Is that putting your faith in God? The answer to that is no. And in fact, they can be deadly substitutes for faith in God. If I rely on me coming to church and giving a tithe and, and, and just being a decent, good person to give me standing before an eternal, holy God, I am building my house on sand. Christ has made that abundantly clear in Matthew 7. See, faith in God is a radical soul-encompassing surrender to the love of God that is demonstrated in this idea of God with us, Emmanuel. If we're genuinely walking in such a trust relationship, then we are going to do all of those things. We're gonna participate with the body of Christ. We're gonna give to the cause of Christ. We're going to enter into the world with integrity and, 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 and all of those things. But they're gonna be expressions of our relationship with Jesus Christ, not substitutes. And that's what was going on here with Ahaz. And, and, and so Isaiah then just gets exasperated with his rebellion. And he rebukes him for testing God. You have to notice a shift here. It goes from your God to the invitation in verse 11 to the my God in his rebuke in verse 13. The prophet then, after that rebuke in verse 13, speaks one of the most famous prophecies in the book of Isaiah. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And this sign there is given to the whole nation. That word you is a plural here in the scripture. And, and so, you know, as we look at this, as we're moving into, you know, beginning to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Christ, you know, the first thing we need to see is that there was an immediate sign here that took place in Ahaz's time. Prophecy, when it comes to Christ, often has a type and a fulfillment, a shadow, if you will, and the reality. Something that was acted out imperfectly in space and time, illustrating some aspect of Christ's future coming. Christ then comes and perfectly fulfills that shadow with the bright light of his life and ministry. And so this is what's taking place here because it's teaching here for us and, and prophesying for us to the coming virgin birth. Matthew 1, 22 through 23 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These verses are directly ascribing this prophecy to Jesus. Just laying out for us here that Isaiah 7, 14 is teaching for us the virgin birth. Because the challenge is all always with this prophecy. And if you're new to church and hearing this first, for the first time, the challenge is this idea of virgin conception and the birth of Jesus Christ. All of these things unique in, in human history. And so that Hebrew word there, Alma, uh, virgin, excuse me, the Hebrew word for virgin is Alma. And it's a word that, that can refer to a virgin but doesn't emphasize her virginity. And so we see here in Isaiah, there is this imperfect, shadowy, prophetical type in Isaiah's day that is in pointing towards where a, a, the perfect fulfillment of this would take place through the true virgin Mary, who would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see kind of here in just a little bit how this is coming to fulfillment. But then you ask yourself, what's the significance of Emmanuel? Why, why God with us? The significance 
of God with us in Ahaz's day was that was the true source of Judah's safety. It was not the fact that Ahaz was going to come up with a plan on his own. That, that was not where their safety was going to come from. It was not that they were going to do any list of things. The true source of their safety was the reality and the fact that Almighty God was with them and protecting them. Isaiah 8, 9 through 10 just makes this plain. It says, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. That's the truth here. It's not about the plans that we lay out. It's about the reality that God is with us. Any nation can prepare for war against little Judah. They can make all the lavish plans, but all such preparations will fail because God is with us. Paul would later write, if God is for us, who is against us? So we have this promise from the Lord, but unfortunately we see fourthly here this morning that there's a failure to receive the promise. A failure to receive the promise. Ahaz would not listen to any of the words. He would not stand firm in his faith. And because he would not stand firm, he would not stand at all. He, he's gonna put his trust and a scheme that he makes, an alliance that he makes with Assyria to deliver him from the two small kings. So verses 17 through 25, God just makes it plain that Assyria will most certainly come. And he's been summoned by both God and Ahaz, but for very different purposes. You can look in 2 Kings 16, verses 7 through 12, see the tragic story of Ahaz turning uh, to Assyria. He, he, he closes the temple he puts up idolatrous places of worship all throughout the city. <coughs> and, and, and because of this, Isaiah gives this prophecy here and lays it out that Assyrian troops are going to swarm into the land like flies and, 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 and like bugs and bees, you know, as God is whistling for them in verses 18 through 19. It says in verses 23 through 25 that the land would be totally destroyed by the Assyrian invasion, symbolized there by thorns and briars. Mentioned in all of those verses there. The bottom line is this, is that what you and I trust in other than the Lord will totally destroy you in the end. If you're putting your trust this morning in something other than the Lord, that's going to be the thing that takes you out in the end. I've seen it in my life. So often I've trusted in my plans and in my desires and my things. And God has taken me out every single time. God's message here to Ahaz, and it's just for us, it teaches that people don't need to fear they're enemies if God has promised salvation. And they need to be careful. They need to be calm. They need to stand firm in their faith. Because failure to trust in God is going to lead to demise in our lives. And it just leads us to this. The final thing is that there is a fulfillment of the promise of the Lord. Seven centuries later, God remembered the sign that he had given to Ahaz. He fulfills it perfectly with virgin and Emmanuel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary, a virgin, becomes pregnant with a son. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. The power of God came upon her. She conceived a son, fully human, fully divine, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That word Emmanuel was fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus. In John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 2.14 says, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. See, Christ came. He was God with us and God for us. And, and, and he became the focus of all saving faith. It was in Jesus 
and in Jesus alone that the words were fulfilled that if you do not stand firm in your faith, that you will not stand at all. Church, what it's calling us to do is to not stand in our own selves, but to stand in the sanctifying salvation and power and redemption of Jesus Christ. He's with us in our companionship through all of our trials. Hebrews 13.5 says, I'll never leave you or abandon you. And so with the coming of Christ, the reality of God's with us, with us has taken on this new dimension for each and every one of us. Before the incarnation, there was this sense that God could only be alongside us. But with the coming of Christ, what we've seen is what Jesus had in mind when he said that the Spirit was with the disciples and that he would be in them, that his tabernacle would no longer be in the center of the camp, but in the human hearts. And what this means for you and I is that we can walk without fear. We can walk without fear. Why? Because God is with us. If God is in us and God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, then neither condemnation of the past of our sins nor the power of present temptation can overtake you and me. Why? Because God is with us and God is for us. The present things that we face in our lives have no power or authority over us. Why? Because God is with us. The circumstances that are surrounding you and I each and every day of our lives have no control and have no power over us. Why? Because God is with us. It's not a promise for somewhere in the future. It's a reality for today if you stand in Christ Jesus. That we're here in this place today as children of God raised up to life in Jesus Christ. Believers, part of the family of God not that he is in some distant place, but that he is with you close. So church, I just ask you this today. What are you putting your trust in? Who are you putting your trust in? I just wanna give you the opportunity this morning that if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you can do that today. The story of my life is one of putting my trust in a lot of things, namely myself. And I can tell you that I'm 41 years old. You can look over the history of 41 years of life and you can see that every time that I put my faith in me and my trust in me, I've failed pretty miserably. I've come up short. Things just haven't come together. At nine years old, I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus Christ in a chapel service at the school where I was attending. And over the course of 32 years of being a believer, I can tell you this, there is not one moment and not one time where Jesus has ever failed me. Not one moment. Have I failed? Yeah. Have I experienced discouragement and fear? Yeah. And at every moment of that, you can look at it and the story of the testimony of my life would be me trying to lean on my own power and not to rely on Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, today's the day for you. You don't have to walk in fear because Emmanuel, has come. He is God with us. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. I put my trust 
in everything and in everybody but you. And I wanna surrender my life to you now. I give you myself, all of me. I put my faith and trust in you to save me, to forgive me, and to lead me on in this life. Father God, just all across this room, Lord, I think there's people that are just struggling, God. People that are believers, that put their faith and trust in Jesus, God, that are just struggling with what is it that they're trusting in right now. They've got crisis and circumstances and things that are surrounding them. God, I just pray that, Lord, today would be the day, God, that they would let go. And God, that they would grab hold of Emmanuel, God with us, through the reality of what's taking place in our lives through, through Jesus Christ. And God, for those in this room that for the very first time have said yes to Jesus, God, would they see his power? Would they know his grace? Would they walk in his truth? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.